Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host... Eric Skwarzynski. All right, Carter, thank you so much for joining me on the Preacher Boys podcast. I really appreciate you joining me on the show. Can you just introduce yourself personally and let people know a little bit about you? Sure, no problem. Well, first, thanks for having me. Uh, My name's Carter. Um, I did go to New Beginnings Girls Academy for two years from July 13th, 2007 to July 21st, 2009, and... um, did a lot of activism work for a number of years. Um, kind of jumped out of it as I did transition to mail a number of years ago when I, like down the road after the everything had changed physically, it was different to bring that up. So right. my activism just kind of dropped because I, <laughs> what I would tell people, hey, you know, by the way, I went to New Beginnings Girls Academy and it was coming out twice. Uh, one is a survivor of a more or less bullshit environment and the other is it like confusing them how could you go to a girls academy um in the first place so just kind of got weird and i stopped doing it but these places didn't stop and um it's a little bit more than just my story there's a whole bunch of people and i after i got out for a number of years i just wasn't okay and i would think about what they were doing at certain times um and it just never kind of passed so until these places shut then even if it's uncomfortable, it's probably something that needs to be done to prevent other people from having those lifelong effects that that place had had on me. So, right. But no, I just want. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. No, it's fine. Um, but my biggest part of my story, I never want to be seen as a victim. Still, I was a victim. My victim experience was like, I believe it was 769 days. But after that, I was a survivor. So my story, if it's sad and stuff like that. That's just, is what it is. I'm a survivor, not a victim. So that's awesome. Yeah, yeah I think that's a, I think that's really cool to have that mindset. And um, you know, it's not easy always to uh, to look at these kind of situations that way. Um, yeah. But I, I know that's going to be encouraging to a lot of people who've been in similar situations. Um, now I know um, when we talked beforehand, you said you were 
You were at the New Beginnings Girls Academy from mm -hmm. uh, 2007 to 2009. Uh, so um, can you just tell me, um, what, was this something that was in your religious upbringing? Like, did you have a religious upbringing? Was it, you know, just coincidence that you ended up at an IFB um, mm. reform school? Like, what was kind of the trajectory that landed you there? Well, to be honest, um, I grew up in a heavily religious childhood, um, but it wasn't like normal religion. It was the most far out we could do a story just on that. But basically, it was more or less a cult. This guy came from like Sioux Falls, South Dakota to a place where I'm from, not South Dakota, but he moved this whole group of people to the area I'm from um, in the South. And they just all started their own group. There was no church or no police officers, cops, law enforcement, hmm. like all that was non-existent. Everyone was born at home. Religion was like breathed into us. Uh, and it wasn't like standard religion. It was some stuff they pulled out from it was just trippy, but um, we did have like a pretty solid connection between um, us because it was really only us. And how my mom even found out about the home was I had a um, family member that was a captain of a police department. And I don't know how he found out about it, but he recommended it. And my mom just went uh, with it. But I'm, I mean, I've not really ever asked him if he knew about right. what had gone on there. I think if he did, especially as a captain, he never would have recommended that stuff, but right. that's the long version of my religious background. <laughs> right. So, um, if, if you're comfortable sharing, um, you know, can you, what was the, what was the mindset that they had when sending you there? Was it something where, oh, you know, um, Oh, why I got sent there? I, I was struggling with when I hit puberty, I just kind of really had a hard time with, uh, everything and I never even knew what transgender was that was a thing like because of the way I grew up I didn't even know it existed so and I mean I never got to wear pants either so I just could never figure out what it was I was just like a loner I was by myself right. and there there was a lot of stuff that happened in my childhood that um, was horrible really terrible abuse and um, I thought people knew but no one did anything and I just kind of it really just turned me and between the abuse and the puberty hitting, I just didn't want to be there. Every year, when I was like eight and nine years old, I was like, next year, I will be big enough to run away. I'm going to run away next year. Right. And every year, I wasn't big enough until the year I was big enough. And then it was on. I, I disappeared for a long time. And right. essentially, I mean, I wasn't doing bad stuff. I wasn't, I wasn't like doing drugs or anything. I never tried drugs as a child. Like up until 18 years old, I tried pot one time at 18 years old. So like... Hmm. I never did bad stuff. I just, I was basically a traumatized kid that had a bunch of stuff happen. And my only solution, the only way I could feel right was to just run. And when I ran, I just, I found a little family. I worked for my babysat to cover my, like my housing there. Like I just started living at a really young age. And of course my mom, she was getting in trouble for me not being in school and they were worried about me and stuff like that. So to them putting me at New Beginnings with their advertising. Like I, I don't blame her. The advertising looked great. It looked like they were gonna patch our family together and really um, get me on the right track. And right. that's just not what happened. <laughs> right. So, um, so I mean, you obviously talked about, you know, um, you said it was a, you said it was an uncle that recommended it? No, that it was just a, a, um, just a, a friend of the family. No, a family member that's a captain of a police department. Got it. Okay. So, 
go too further than that. Right. So you mentioned like if he knew what went on there, he probably wouldn't have recommended it. So obviously yeah. that raises the question for those who don't know about the New Beginnings Girls Academy, like what did go on there? And, you yes. know, when you hear about these reform schools, you know, a lot of times people brush off these stories because, you know, hey, it's tough love or it's this. But when you start digging in, there's a lot of these stories that go deeper than that. So can you talk a little bit about what you saw at the New Beginnings Girls Academy that, you know, did unsettle you and did, you know, add to the trauma? Because it seems like there was a lot more going on than just, you know, strict discipline at the school. I really couldn't tell you everything because we'd be here for over 200 <laughs> Or over 200 years. Wow. <laughs> Maybe not that long. We'd be here for over two years, though, because I saw over two years of abuse. Like, right. every day it was something. It got to the point where it was just normal. And, I mean, I can really let me tell you the things that really stood out to me, the things that essentially messed me up in the end, uh, things I thought about and what took the longest to heal over were certain things. But they also prepared me for what I did as a career down the road. So... But the things that really stood out, the stuff that took me a long time to heal was like what I saw happen to those girls and what happened to me. Just like for years, I would hear like the screams, like and it just messed me up. Like I saw a girl that um, like a lot of the girls, they would try to hurt themselves to get out because in most programs you get made corrected. But um, it wasn't like that at this place. And I saw girls literally just cut so bad, like to the point like there's just lots of blood and like deep, hmm. deep damage. And now like, um, my last job was working at a mental hospital and I saw that stuff at the hospital. I watched people get stitched up and that's what should have happened to the girls. But instead they would do something called a JCMT, um, juvenile, oh, what was it? I think it was like juvenile crisis management technique, um, where they would hold us down on the floor by pressure points with an adult on each limb. So they would hit your pressure points in your arm and that would be a whole adult on just that one arm. And then you had one on the other one and then on your legs. And like, I would try to knock myself out cause the pain was just so immense. Like you could not bear it. It hurt. Like your hips were digging into the tile. Like it was just terrible. So I would try to knock myself out so I wouldn't feel it anymore. And then that didn't work. <laughs> right. Then they would just be sitting on my head. But I mean, that, in itself, that's not a real move. When I worked at the mental hospital, like if we would have won, even put a patient on the floor like that, that would have been abuse of a vulnerable individual. Like yeah. uh, the things they did was illegal. <laughs> like they kidnapped me basically. They took me across the state lines. My mom did not know they were putting me in Missouri. When she mm. signed up, uh, she thought we were gonna be staying in Florida, right. but they, held me in that room. They took me off my medications. I went in on, I believe it was three different medications and they just crashed me right off of it. Uh, they said, I didn't need medication. I needed Jesus. And mm. I was 15 years old with, or 16. Yeah. 16. Wow. My memory's like, it's been a while, but I was 16 years old with PTSD. Like, yes, I needed medication. I was not <laughs> Right. Totally rely on Jesus. That was like the load, load of shit right there. Um, right. And I remember crashing off of that stuff. Like, it was terrible. And I remember one time, like right when I was new, I was still in Florida at this time because they only kept me in Florida for six days. But I sat straight up in my bed from like a dream or whatever because I still have that. But I just sat up and then I about knocked myself out on the bunk above me. I still remember the darn of me <laughs> hitting my forehead on those bars. Like, right. Like, 
it's like I went through some shit coming off that stuff and it wasn't even like like I mean I don't know it's the most crazy shit ever uh and they I I think like what set me off to be one of the less favorite kids that went through that program was when I went in I still remember what I was wearing I was wearing a red shirt and carpenter jeans and like those brown construction boots I was like already to be like a total total grown up like go to work and shit but instead I got dropped off there and I remember uh McNamara was sitting there with his fat ass talking about uh we want the same things you want and he said my name at the time and I was like uh I'll never forget I looked him straight in his face and I was like really you're telling me you want gay marriage too (laughs) and like that was not what he was thinking um and that's apparently we didn't want the same things in life because uh, <laughs> like that started out a terrible stay for me um their main focus for me and for a couple others but i felt like mostly me was homophobic statements like i remember like a couple or like a year later when i was in the cafeteria and he was like running around screaming get right with god and like throwing tomatoes at us and i was in trouble as usual i was on discipline so i was basically standing on the wall, which is just facing the wall, like other people have mentioned, where you stand there for like insane amounts of times every day for a week until you've been good enough to get off of it. If you weren't good enough, then you're still on it again. Sometimes you're just on it if they feel like you're not right with God. But I was on the wall and he was screaming and throwing tomatoes and he got like right in my face like a drill sergeant. I remember he was spitting on me while he was screaming and he was talking about, I would never let another girl lay lips on me and things like that. And like for years when I got out of there, like, before I transitioned, when I did identify as lesbian, because it just is what it was, I was literally afraid to hold my girlfriend's hand in public because it's like, I just didn't ever feel like, it's not that I was ashamed of it, but I just never wanted to experience that again. And I was scared like to experience something like that again. So I just was afraid to be open in public. And that's actually something that still kind of happens. Like even now that I've transitioned and no one would ever guess anything, I'm just, I'm just nervous. I just never want those negative experiences that I had in the past with those kind of people. And the best, this was like ultimately the best way to get away from it. Although that's definitely not why I transitioned. That was one of the upsides. Hmm. Um, right. But I'm just like, the stuff that happened there, if I would have done even a couple of those things during my employment as a mental health professional, I would have, I would be in prison today. And they right. did that to children. That's where I'm like, I do not understand. Our justice system has failed us. That these monsters are still out on the street. And there have been girls that have died after that home because of the impact that it had on their lives where they just weren't the same and they turned to drugs or had accidents um, because right. they were self-medicate. It's like, mm-hmm. it's really hard. You don't want to go to a doctor and talk about what happened because it's just so far out there like technically we'll all be on medications for the rest of our lives right and and there's no um i mean when when you're trying to talk to somebody about it there's really not a common ground to say like you know what i'm talking about right like you're talking about you know i'm talking about like one of these troubled girls homes and people are going to look at you with a blank stare like what is that (laughs) and so it yeah it's definitely not an easy thing to find common ground on um so you talked a little bit about the culture of, um, you know, the new beginnings. Um, and you mentioned it was kind of from, off, you know, right off the bat, things were pretty negative with the 
with the experience there. Um, yeah. Can you, could, I'm always curious because, and I had someone else who was on the show and they kind of shared the, the breakdown of like the, the range of people that were there because, you know. Um, oh, was, there was a wide range. There was like right. all different colors uh, and there was all different backgrounds. Like we had like missionaries, kids, and like um, high up military officials, their kids were there. Like, uh, mm. like it really just, there was all kinds of people, but the ones that stood out to me the most were uh, the kids that had clearly had sexual abuse and they were there. You could just mm. see, like they would be made fun of for like having accidents, but they were scared to go to the bathroom. Like that kind of stuff where you, I don't know, maybe I was just more sensitive to it, but I could always pick up on that stuff and they had a hard time for sure. Right. Right. Um, did you feel like there were any undertones of like sexual abuse within yes. the school? I never, like, I never saw it, obviously. Uh, it never happened to me, but there were weird things, like, just really weird. Like, I remember one time when he was preaching, he was like, everyone bow your head. And he was like, raise your hand if you're a virgin. I'm like, why the hell does this guy need to know that? Hmm. And then, like, there was other times where he would set people up. Like, he wore these outrageously skinny um khakis and he was like a big dude like yeah. he needed like at least three sizes up and he would sit with his legs like way spread and like I never looked at that stuff and I still don't it's just you know like, not a, not what you want to do but like it was hard to miss that and then whenever you'd even look in his direction he never accused me of it but he accused other people of it talking about oh you're looking at my stuff I'm a married man you're a sinner praise God just weird mm. stuff he had a huge emphasis on sexual things and like uh he would bust in the dorm there's many times that he would go in there and just throw our beds off essentially flip our dorm throw everything out of the closet we'd go in and what little possessions we had it would be just in the floor broken sometimes mixed with everyone else's stuff it's like your whole life that's all you have and it's just thrown on the floor because he said he could quote smell sin in the camp aka masturbation yeah. i'm like these are girls going through puberty like what the hell do you expect right right like, and uh, it was just uncomfortable so you mentioned you know obviously he's a um you know he, he was married was his wife heavily involved with the school as well or was it mainly him yeah mm -mm. it was both of them although she was a little bit nicer um it was the same i mean she's just as guilty you can't be a part of that and not be a part of it at the same time Right, and um, how many staff were there um, within the within the the home, and how many students would you say? Um, I mean, it has been a number of years. I can name the staff. Uh, let's see, Heather, Laura, the Max. That's two. They had a daughter, Cassie. That's one, and then they had another daughter that was married. So that's two more. That's seven I can think of. Okay. Uh, then there was CT, their brother, or Max the man's brother um so like eight i've even talked to people after that i'm like why the hell didn't we just overrun them we could have just ran upstairs and got their guns and just like defended ourselves or done something like in hindsight there was at any given time at least 30 like that would be really really conservative mm. more like 40 something because there was two dorms there was a dorm right under the max's house which that was more of the not the better, but like the less likely to run. Like there was a reason that they were not high risk and they were in the basement under the house. 
and then uh, the people like me that would run on a dime, we were upstairs above the school where um, it was locked and things like that. They definitely, that was one thing. They should, if anything, if they never face charges for anything, they should face charges for false imprisonment because they literally locked us in and we weren't allowed to exercise. I still have, have like marks and stuff from that because I was a athlete growing up. Like I was just ran around everywhere. And um, so I had like muscles and stuff. And then from being like locked like that, everything just kind of went down because I didn't get to like do any of that stuff. And now I have like stretch marks on my legs. It's embarrassing, but it's like, it's literal scars from that stuff. Hmm. Um, just from inactivity. Uh, and like, it's not like I wasn't being inactive. We were reading Bibles and being beat with religion. We Our schedule is pretty full. Like one thing about them is they did keep us really busy, like between school and prayer and having to memorize like whole sections of the Bible at a time and quote it word for word, or we'd be on discipline, things like that. Just like, it was just out there. <laughs> right, right. Um, and what would you say, well, actually, the one thing I wanted to hit on, so you mentioned guns. <laughs> so they were armed? Oh, yeah. I remember, okay. I okay, like, I could not tell you what kind of guns they were, but there was rifles and shotguns for sure. Like, I remember seeing the gun case. Uh, it was like this wooden framed thing with glass in front of it, and it had guns in it. I remember that. It was near the top of the stairs. At, like, I... Only a handful of times I got to go up to their house, and I remember mm. that very clearly because I remember looking at it like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, a little odd. <laughs> um, well, I like guns anyway, but like in hindsight, I'm like, why didn't I just run up and kick the glass, grab the gun, and start? But, you know, maybe their ammo wasn't kept with it. You never know. Right, right. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously, like, there was a lot of psychological, spiritual abuse, and you mentioned a little bit of the physical abuse. Um, it seems like everyone's had a different level of that, depending on, you know, what time period they stayed or, you know, um, you know, when they were there. So I'm curious, um, what, you know, what level of physical abuse did you see? Was it, was it mainly just being like restrained? Was it, was no. it, you know, SWATs? I'll like, tell you, I'll tell you all of it. That I mean, it's not all of it. Obviously it was two years and there's stuff I'm just not going to remember because of the blackouts, but that's what I had originally gone to tell you when I talked about that girl. She got held. We'd get held in the JCMT, that particular girl that cut herself really bad. Um, mm. They poured three bottles of alcohol on her, and that's where I remember the screams mm. from. Like, those were the screams that I had to try to black out for, like, years. Um, because, like, that, when it's that deep, you're not going to pour alcohol on it. That was just punishment. And, like, certain things, like, I had a medical issue, and I had to have um like a procedure done and they told them no pain meds and they did it while I was awake things like that like it was excruciatingly painful hmm. and I mean where did the pills go like I was right. never in there for drug abuse like why why could I not have medication to help with that like I never ever had a desire to do drugs much less did drugs right. <laughs> so it's just things like that um, other things, let's see, physical abuse as far as um, locking us in the dorms, um, doing the stuff with the medication, taking off or taking the alcohol whenever there was incidents like that. Um, they made, this was a weird one, but like if you literally didn't dot, 
an I or cross a T, that would be counted as one. Like one T missed, that's one. You missed the I again, that's two. And if you got, I believe it was like 10 or more, then you were cheating in your pace because you had to like score it or grade it yourself or whatever. Right. And your first offense, it was like not as bad, but every time they did that, it would get worse and worse. So like you'd have to write like a thousand sentences on character or integrity or whatever the word was. And it'd be like multiple words um, in that sentence. And then you have to write it a thousand times as your first offense. And then 2000, 3000, 4000, like on top of maintaining um, your Bible study, uh, quoting the scripture, all that, like it was insane. And then the worst part of that is they'd make you do an hour. It started an hour and then it'd be like two hours, three hours, four hours as the offenses kept recurring. But they would make us get on the floor um, on our knees and hands and put our ankles over, you know, cross the ankles behind us and literally scrub the floor with a dry toothbrush, that one little piece of grout for an entire hour like my knees would be killing me and that was like just the first offense with the, the words and all that stuff that you had to write and it was right. just like it was stuff like that or they make us do jumping jacks which i mean that's not really abuse but like when you make someone do a thousand jumping jacks in the dead heat of the sun like yeah we're not right. in the military we weren't grown like that was excessive but i mean jumping jacks weren't the worst i kind of liked them um but I'm a weirdo. <laughs> I liked him compared to other stuff we'd have to yeah, do over there, like sure. to say the least. <laughs> was, was there anybody there? Like, I mean, obviously you were probably restricted in how much you were able to talk about, you know, why everyone was there. But yeah. was there, you know, obviously now you're working, you know, you've mentioned like working with, um, you know, in a mental institution, you know, working in law enforcement a little bit. Like, yeah. it, looking at it through that lens, was there anybody there where you thought or you think like maybe they did need like the tough environment of a reform school or was it something where, you know, you looked around and thought like, why are any of us here? You know, Um, because, and again, I'm not asking, just to be very clear, like I'm not saying that, you know, should these places exist? I'm just saying like there is, you know, some people may listen and say, well, obviously for someone like you, that wasn't the right place, but was there someone that, you know, something like that would be good for? Um, mm-hmm. cause, cause I know that was the, that was the big thing when I was growing up is like, we'd have people come in from places like this and the way it's portrayed is like, these are the most dangerous, you know, some of the most dangerous people you can imagine. And they're, you know, we send them off here and then we reform them with like tough love and discipline and it's basically boot camp. And, you know, but then you hear these stories and you're like, I'm like, I just can't, especially as a parent now, I just can't imagine something where I would feel comfortable sending my kid away for a year to essentially like pause everything in their life and, you know, be tortured for a year and a half, you know, like I, I just can't. I didn't I, see anyone there that would qualify for needing. Even if, even if background. it was ranked correctly, yeah, there wasn't a need, right? Well, um, I mean, there were, okay, if they could have had the most successful program ever, if they would have taken the same group of us and like actually loved us like they said they did and like positively worked with us, that would have done a total 360 or 180, whatever. I was not good at math. That would have turned <laughs> a lot of lives around. It would have been right. much different than now where you have hundreds of people that have spoken up over the years talking about, you cannot 
like literally it doesn't make sense in my head you can't have that many people saying this stuff happened and it still not be believed like this stuff right, did exactly. happen these stories are legit we really did yeah, there's entire this. support groups for people yeah. that went to the exact same experience have the have the same nightmares have the same you know memories um yeah. was there was there a period because i mean you're there for like almost three years um actually yeah a little over two years it was, yeah it was like two years and a month i did yeah. the math one time like years ago it was like 769 days right so that's a long time to be sitting under the same kind of preaching, same kind of, you know, attitude, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. Was there ever a period where you started, like, thinking, are they right, you know, or where you started buying to the, the system they were laying out? Absolutely not. I'll tell hmm. you one thing about me. There was always one thought that I always had, and it did not matter what was happening to me. It was, I will get out of here. I will turn 18. You will not break me. And that last part, you will not break me. That was something I would repeat to myself over and over and over. No matter what was happening in my head, I would say, you will not break me. Because uh, they tried to. Essentially, they, they tried to. And I never fully bought into their bullshit. Like, I did start, you know, obviously I'm reading my Bible 24-7. And I'm going through hell on earth, and the Bible's talking about, like, you know, positive stuff. It's the Bible. So, like, it was nice to kind of, like, try to get away in my head, think about the outside or, you know, the Bible. I did start, you know, Psalm 23, I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Like, I used to think of those scriptures because I was in the middle of that. Like, so I did um, turn, I mean, I'm not religious now, but at that time when that was my only option, I did find a little bit of comfort in the Bible verses that gave me hope on things ending because that's all I really had was a number, 18. I'm going to turn 18 one day, and these people cannot hold me. I will go home. I will see my family. And, like, that was another thing while I was there. They always, always, always said, your family doesn't want you. They don't love you. Why do you think we have you? And almost like Hitler, you say a lie long enough, loud enough, and often enough people believe it. We started to believe that we weren't wanted because how can you drop me off, let them take me halfway across the country and me not believe that you didn't want me when that's all they tell me for, for my entire stay is you didn't want me. And like my mom, like other people, they got visits at six months and stuff. My mom was a single mom working a business that she started herself Um, a very hands-on, humble business trying to support me and my sibling. And it's like, she didn't have the financial means to come see me. Like, I know she was paying the bills because my dad had passed away and there was social security from that. And it was like, there was sufficient money for the program, but my mom also had other stuff. She had to work. So I knew she was paying the bills and I knew she was paying for the program, but they always said, oh, your mom doesn't even pay. So like, Hmm. I mean, after listening to that, sometimes I started to wonder, like, I'm not getting this to my mom. I know she's struggling. I watched her work till her hands bled. Like I knew she was working, but then she wasn't seeing me. It was really confusing even talking about it now. Like I I had a hard time wrapping my head around it. Cause like, there's this one time, like, I think I'd been there for like, it was like a little over a year, I believe. And I hadn't got my six months visit. I hadn't got my year visit. Hmm. Hadn't seen my mom. And I was once again in trouble. <laughs> I was on the wall because it was really easy to get in trouble, like super easy. Like I'm picky. And if you didn't eat all your food, 
three demerits right there. And like, if you couldn't finish it the next meal, another three demerits. And then you only have four demerits left and you're in trouble. Like, yeah. and it could be being like mine, one demerit, disrespecting a sister, three demerits. Um, <laughs> like, right. some of them are good rules. Okay. I see we need to order, but excessive like just because there was minor problems then all of a sudden you're standing in quarter for a week and you're denied like even more than you were already denied so anyways back to that particular event I was um <clears throat> on the wall in discipline and Mac was like McNamara I refuse to call him brother Mac even though sometimes <laughs> it slips uh but Mac was um he was like what would you do if your mom came to see you and I looked at him and I was like, I'd run the first chance I got. <laughs> hmm. And he was like, cancel the visit, call the mom and cancel the hmm. visit. And I still remember like how bad that hurt. Like yeah. I just cried like all day. I cried like the deepest cry I've probably ever cried in my life. It was like, it was just, it hurt me to my soul. Like even when my dad passed away, like he had committed suicide and stuff. Like I never ever cried like I cried that day like mm. even to this day like over all the things that I've lost in my life I've never cried like that right. it's just like it's just the fucked up mentality the way that they fucking try to get in our heads and make us feel like we weren't even worth it it was like it's just bullshit because it wasn't until probably about last year where I actually could talk to my mom about that and she said what are you talking about I was never coming to visit you because like I said she had business she my mom struggled. My dad left her with a lot of debt. My mom, I mean, I think it was not till like recently that she was able to clear all that stuff in the last several years. But like my mom was busting her ass while they were over there just disrespecting her, taking her money and turning us against each other. Like maybe not her against me, but me against her for sure. Like you can't just sit there and go through that stuff day in and day out and eventually not start to wonder, well, I really am here because she doesn't want me like I don't know it really messed up my head but the pain that I felt that day it just stuck with me and that was another reminder how much I hate those bastards like that's what I thought in my head I'm just like fuck them I'm gonna make it fuck them and I used to do stuff to remind myself like I was gonna age out I used to we used to have to write our initials on like our underwear and our outfits and stuff and instead of writing my initials, I started writing 17 on everything because I knew if I wrote 18, obviously they're going to take it away and I can't do that. So I beat the system by putting 17. All my clothes were marked with 17 and every outfit I put on every time I got dressed, I, it was a reminder to myself, I would turn 18. I would get out of there and they would not have control of me anymore. So that was one of my subtle ways, uh, that I kind of was like, fuck you every day to them. And like other things too, like uh, I, when I went in, I had a, a really big, um, I almost gave it away where I'm from. But anyway, I had a really big sports team, like a college team t-shirt. And I love that shirt because I knew it was a male t-shirt. They didn't know that. And I, I used to wear that thing to bed every single night because it was like the only thing left. Like, and then eventually they took that too, but for the time that I had it, um, it was something that was just like another fuck you to them, another reminder to myself that I would get out of there. And I don't know, I didn't realize until like the last couple months that 17 was a legal age. If I would have succeeded in running away, I would have been free. 
And it's like, just the mind control, like, how are you going to take me to a state where I could be legal at 17? And I didn't know that. I didn't even know where I was on a map. Like, right. it was crazy. Just <clears throat> the whole thing about that is crazy. Um, but ultimately, like I said, um, when I talk about this stuff, sometimes I feel like a victim. I was a victim, but I'm a survivor. And I used all that shit that happened to me to try to help other people. We've successfully talked other survivors out of suicide, out of depressive mm. episodes, all kinds of stuff, just because we have such a tight bond. You can't go through that shit. Like, I'm not even, I, honestly, I can't even give you a complete picture because there's so much stuff that I'm missing. And, like, unless you were actually there, you would just never know what it actually was like to be there. And there's, that was when I turned to these girls and we became, like, tight. Like, over the years, like, I've met out with, hung out, hung out with a couple of them. And they, even when we weren't able to hang out, like, through, you know, Messenger or whatever, like, we still have a support system, like, this week I contacted another member that actually did a show on here and I talked to her and like like when I'm depressed or I'm going through stuff I call the other survivors because at the end of the day they're only ones that are going to know without me even having to talk about it because it right if you're going through something you want to address that but then you want to you have to bring up with someone else you have to bring up well why it happened what happened and you're not going to be able to really get the help because you're like triggered again by talking about that other stuff so it's just it doesn't work that's why we have our survivors that's why we're so strong that's why no matter how many years go by we still stay together right oh, that's awesome yeah um, so um so did your eventual leaving was that when you turned 18 then that was basically <laughs> the minute you turned 18 you were out no I, no I, no i was scared to say that i wanted to go home because like um like, okay, so the first year I was like, fuck these guys, and I did my own thing, and I wouldn't go with the program. Then I was like, damn, okay, I got to roll with the program to kind of ease up on the suffering. So I started, like, following their rules and, like, freaking <coughs> praying and praying for people and, like, really rolling with the religious bullshit. And I don't feel like it was faking it because I was trying, actively trying. Like, I literally prayed. I'm like, God, please don't make me gay. Please take this gayness away, like please fix me so I can, you know, be normal and like, have a good time. <laughs> like, right. Please fix me. And God never fixed me. Hmm. That wasn't my struggle. Like, I fully believe I went through all this stuff for a reason. Right. And nothing was wrong with me. At the end of the day, who I liked or loved, that did not make me a bad person that did not make that place need it. Like, two girls kissing is not the biggest problem out there. <laughs> like, like that was where I was at with it. So, um, yeah, so I turned, I kind of started rolling with the program and then I went from being a prisoner to a guard essentially because mm. they selected several of us that had really been rolling with the program and they made us helpers. So we were essentially junior staff and we were responsible for writing the other girls up and it's like, our demerits like got cut down we could only get five demerits instead of ten right. and so like uh, it was hard and I tried to be fair but sometimes like and this was something I had to deal with after I got out but sometimes I just really had to like write certain people up in it I would get in trouble if I didn't write enough people up so kind of the easiest way to do that was to see who was acting out the most and then just write them up 
um, a couple times, whatever I could write them up for, just to kind of fill my book. Um, and I would just do that. And it's like, it really sucked, but it was my job. Like, and if I didn't do it, I was in more trouble than they were. Right. So it just sucked. Like, I feel bad. I still feel bad that I, I had to do stuff that made other people have a harder stay. Um, like as far as being on discipline and stuff, but at the end of the day, I'm like, well, they would have done the same thing. And I don't feel too bad about it because at the end of the day, we were all just survivors trying to survive. Sometimes certain things were required that in an ideal situation, we wouldn't have wanted to do. So, right. but I mean, like, like I said, that stuff prepared me, like writing people up, paying attention, doing my rounds, all that stuff. Like I learned how to like do that kind of thing. And then I was able down the road to, to actually have a career where I actually helped people <laughs> using right. some of the stuff that I've learned. I know what it feels like to be locked up. I know what it feels like to miss your family and be going through depression or PTSD, like that stuff I can relate to. And that's, that's why I loved working in mental health so much. It was just, of course, I never ever told my patients at the mental hospital, like, anything about me because we're focused on their stay and not my story but uh the story did help and there were times um i was able to do stuff at the hospital that a lot of people would have froze up at because but i didn't freeze up because i'd already seen it at like 16 years old i'd already seen somebody bleeding out i'd already seen like you know crisis situations like as a kid so of course as an adult when it's my job to go in there and make sure that you come out okay like it just wasn't even an issue just no problem at all um but like i said it took me a long time to be okay like a really long time i went through a lot of depression a lot of drinking at certain times like when i was younger um not so much anymore but like it took me a long time and even with my family like we weren't good i i didn't have contact with my family for a number of years because I just, I had a hard time with all that stuff afterwards. And then even my mom did, like, I had to cut her a break. She was coming out of some religious stuff herself. And that's part of it. Like, yeah, I have like websites up where I shared my story and I talked about my mom didn't care because she didn't love me and things like that. And I'm not going to say that I regret that, but at the time that I wrote that, um, that's what I believed. And that was what I believed from my experience there. Like, and so part of that, like, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm thankful that things have changed with my family. I have a great family, a really, really mm. good family. And now I have a great support system, but it's taken almost, what, like 10 years to get that? Right. Like, it's been a long time. Hmm. So um, I'm, I'm curious, and I, I think you kind of, you know, usually ask what's been helpful through the recovery process. And it seems like the community aspect has been huge. Um, but I'm curious what you would say to someone, um, just kind of wrapping up, I'm curious what you would say to someone who, you know, maybe is in a similar position to where you were and maybe, um, is in a experience where, you know, they're seeing the same horrific stuff that you were experiencing. Like, what would you say to encourage someone or, or maybe they've have been through it, um, and they're on the other side now. Like, what is an encouraging word you would say to other survivors and fighters that are that are going through this stuff? I would say absolutely, do not give up. There's a reason we went through this shit. Life is not fair, and it. I don't think these places should have existed, but the fact that we made it through, we made it, and we're survivors. Like, 
I would say never give up. Like mm. every depressing suicidal thought you have, like those are just aftermaths of an intense like emotional earthquake that happened to you. Like everything will pass. There are people that do love you. You're not unwanted. Um, and things do get better. Sometimes it takes a long time. Um, but there are people that get it. There are people that can move forward. And like, ironically, <laughs> marijuana was something that helped me. Uh, I got it legally. I started, I was able to never take antidepressants and only smoke or, you know, consume it with the various different ways. That was something that helped me, but some people are allergic. I do not encourage illegally using anything. Um, if it's legal, I would say, you know, talk to a doctor if you've tried everything and it hasn't worked. But ultimately I would tell those people like, we can come together, we can share our stories and we can shut these places down. And at the end of the day, that's my goal. That's the only reason I share my story at all is in hopes of either helping someone that's went through this or raising awareness so no more kids go to those places. And, and like, I would really like laws to change to criminally persecute or prosecute, whatever, not persecute, I use the wrong word, but <laughs> prosecute the people that are responsible for causing so many people to hurt. Like, and there have been literal deaths. And I mean, I was there when people died. Like, hmm. it's just, lives have been lost through this and this is a fight for lives. So we can't give up on it. Right. Um, and I guess lastly, what would you say to someone who, um, you know, is maybe considering sending their child uh, to a place like this? Um, I mean, obviously what you've said, I think should be compelling enough reason not yeah. to, but what would you say or recommend to people who think this is their only option? I would say it's not your only option. There are a lot of other state regulated programs where there are, where they are required to follow the law. Um, the fact that that place exists is just another sign of a system that's failed us. The fact that the separation of churches and state is that extreme that those places can't exist. Um, but I would say there's a lot of other options. I know kids are frustrating and people go through stuff and mental illness, that's a hard thing to handle. Like yeah. if you have a family member going through that, but there are so many other options besides this one. Like, and I would say also my mom, my sister pointed out to my mom these news articles when I was in there. My mom did not believe them. She thought that they were people that were upset because of how positive our story or my letter sounded and all that because of how I was required to write that stuff. Another thing we haven't even got into is, like I said, it couldn't fit two years into this podcast. But I mean, we're not making this stuff up. No one is making this stuff up. This stuff did happen, it does exist. And there are so many other options. And if you're, if you're just not, like I would say, like, if you, if you and your kid, you just cannot get along and nothing has worked and there's, and there was absolutely nothing left. I would never suggest this, but the fo foster care system compared to those programs, the kid would be better off just like that than mm. put, I mean, foster care is not a good thing. I'm definitely, I'm, I'm not yeah. suggesting giving your kid up, but I'm saying like, if it came down to that, that would even be better than the freaking home. It was terrible. Like, <laughs> I mean, it is what it is, but there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of options. There's a lot of people that will be willing to help. Uh, and that's what our goal is at the end of the day. So, Right. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining me on the show and sharing your story. I mean, it's really, it means a lot to me. And I know it's going to mean a lot to the people who listen to it. And I think it's 
you know, the, I think you're the third person now um, who's who's come out about, about this home and. You know, uh, Bill McNamara and his wife are still, you know, running a home in Missouri um, for men only right now. Um, but it's it's pretty stunning that they're still doing, you know, what they're doing, um, even though there's so many that are coming out and, and speaking out. Um, so yeah, thank you for, uh, yeah. I was just going to say thank you for adding your voice to that. I really appreciate that. Oh, no problem. And I wanted to say, um, when New Beginning shut, they didn't actually shut. What they did, which is what I've seen happen in other cases, they just took all those girls. Maybe a couple of them got to go home, but the other ones, they just got redispersed into other facilities just like New Beginnings. Mm -hmm. They literally just moved states and changed names. Like, New Beginnings might not have a girls' or a boys' home right now, but it doesn't mean that those children are safe. Those children were just mm -hmm. relocated. And that is our mission, to find every kid and shut those people down. Right. Oh, that's awesome. No, um, yeah, I think that's really important to keep in mind. And it, it is, you see that happen over and over and over again. Um, so yeah, thank you for, thank you for speaking up, speaking out. And, uh, I'm, I'm thankful to get to, to get to play a part in getting the story out as well. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that you're not the last one that we get to have on and, and share, um, your experience. So, but, uh, but thank you for joining me. Thank you for, for sharing and, and thank you for, uh, just doing everything you're doing and for, for being open about it. All right. I appreciate it. And thank you for having me today. I uh, appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. All right. No problem. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.